Coming up on Empower with Tristan Camfer Duma. You know, others, you know, passion drives productivity. Mm. You know, if you're very, if you really like what you're doing, you will put in the extra effort, you'll put in the extra time to be the best you can at it. Mm. I've always learned most in my career by working on the most difficult problems that face the organization and the team that I was on. Nothing big or important, really important, happens by one person. I believe business can not just generate profit, but I, I believe business can do good as well. Hello, hello, welcome back. My name is Tristan Kampoduma. I'm the host of Empower, and today we are blessed to have Mr. Edward Hightower here to share his insights on a myriad of topics. Mr. Edward Hightower is the Managing Director of Motoring Ventures, LLC. He's the CEO and President of Lordstown Motors Corporation and author of the book, Motoring Africa, Sustainable Automobile Industrialization. This conversation is just going to be crazy. So just tune in, make sure that you have everything set aside. This is something to look forward to. And without further ado, sit back, relax, enjoy, and most importantly, take notes. All right, Mr. Hightower, welcome. Thank you, Tristan. Um, it is great to be back in Accra. And thank you for having me. Thank you for having me uh, on the program. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much for taking the time sure. to have this podcast. So the first question that I have for you is, who is Edward Hightower? Wow, that's a broad one. Um, I, I would sum it up as um, I'm an automotive entrepreneur, I'm the CEO of an electric vehicle manufacturer, and I'm a published author and um, also a martial artist uh, on, 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 on from a personal side. So um, I'm someone who's been very passionate about the automotive industry since a very young age. And uh, I've been blessed to have a career that's allowed me to grow and uh, contribute to the growth of that industry and learn a tremendous amount from it. So that's who I'd say I am. Okay, okay. And I was doing a little little bit of background research yes. and I saw that you had some stints with some various automotive industries and automotive companies. Would you like to share your experience? And all yes. Of that? Yes, sure. Um, I've spent about 30 years uh, in the global automotive industry between Ford, BMW and GM, primarily in product development, engineering, um, business leadership, P&L, profit and loss leadership, and other executive roles between those companies. Um, I've had, been blessed to work all around the world in the automotive industry, China, India, South Korea, Mexico, Brazil, um, several countries on the African continent. And um, so I, I feel like I'm someone who's been really, really, um, you know, really blessed to have been able to put their passion uh, and turn it into a career. Okay, okay. In all of that, it seems like it's a lot of things that you would need in order to get to that state in terms of certification and education. Mm -hmm. So what courses did you take in order to be certified for those roles? Sure. Um, so I started out, uh, I studied uh, engineering uh, at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. That's where I did my undergrad. I got my Bachelor of Science uh, in general engineering, and I focused on automotive because since a very young kid, I was very passionate about the industry. I grew up in Chicago, Illinois, and um, at that time, people used to work on their own cars. So I always liked cars from a really young age. 
I used to look at, um, um, read all the car magazines from a very young age. I used to watch mechanics repair vehicles. I would call myself helping them out. Uh, and, and that's how I learned a lot about vehicles. I was very active in the Boy Scouts. So we had an old truck, uh, 1960s. I know that sounds ancient to you. Uh, 1960s pickup truck that we used to use to collect uh, paper around the neighborhood and recycle that paper for money to raise money for our Boy Scout troop. And at the age of 11, I appointed myself in charge of maintenance for the truck. So I learned how to do things like change oil, change spark plugs, uh, change air filters and maintain the truck. So that helped me be really hands on uh, and learn about cars. So that experience in the neighborhood and, and that experience in the Boy Scouts and then combined with my uh, engineering education is how I got my first start in the auto industry uh, as an engineer with General Motors. I later went on to get a master's degree in business uh, at the University of Michigan, go blue. And, um, uh, and then, you know, my, my career just uh, went from there. So a combination of engineering and business from an education standpoint, but really developing a passion uh, using a number of things and a number of mentors that were in my life. Okay. Why was engineering the first step to all of this? No, that's a good, that's a good question. It was the first step because I was very interested in how these products came together, hmm. how they came together, how they worked. I was, I was one of those kids that was very interested in how they work. And, um, as I learned more about how they'd work through, as I was saying, changing oil, doing tune-ups and things like that, uh, I realized that once I learned what an engineer did, they basically take science and apply it to the creation of products and solving problems. So I said, okay, it seems like uh, a good path. I also looked at people who got to spend their time all their time around cars. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there were people who were designers who were more on the creative side, more industrial designers. And uh, then there, are the, there were the engineers who basically took those designs and ex executed them to turn them into products. I didn't feel I had the, the um, you know, creative drawing skills, if you will, <laughs> to be on the designer side. But um, I felt that with my uh, my interest and where what I'd been able to learn, I could play a strong part on the execution ex execution side. So that's why I took engineering as a path. Mm -hmm. So it was engineering, then it was business. Yes. So yeah, I, I worked for several years between uh, getting my engineering degree. I worked for about five years and then went back and got my business business my master's uh, in business administration. Why why do you think it was necessary to get the business? Oh, yeah. Um, I would say, you know, as an engineer, I felt that I was executing decisions that were made by someone else. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand all of the logic behind that. I'll give you an example. Early in my career, I was the what was called the vehicle performance engineer for um, the Cadillac Coupe de Ville, Elder, uh, Coupe de Ville, Sedan de Ville, and Fleetwood. All right, those are very. Those were very. Um, um, this was back in the the '90s or so. So you may not be familiar with those, but those were luxury vehicles. Um, I was responsible for how the vehicle rode, how it handled, how quiet it was going down the road, what the steering felt like, and I did a number of projects related to future models, tuning the suspension, tuning the steering. 
working on noise and vibration issues. And I had, and I had no idea that at that time, that was the best-selling luxury car in America. Had no mm. idea, because I wasn't exposed to the commercial side of the business, nor did I really know um, a lot of the costs that went into going into a vehicle. And to, I, I, as much as I liked being an engineer, as much as I liked the hands-on work, because I used to work at the test track, I was a certified test driver. I was wow. certified to test <laughs> vehicles at 100 plus miles per hour. Oh, wow. And uh, it took some time for me to get the training to do that, but I could do those things. But I wanted to be involved in the decision making as well. Mm. So I felt I needed to understand how decisions got made. I needed to understand the business, the economics behind it, the cost, the revenue, how do you understand what the customer wants? How do you deliver what the customer wants? How do you convince them to buy your product? And I saw, you know, just like I decided to study engineering because I saw what they got to do, mm -hmm. as I looked further down the road from a career standpoint and I saw the people that were making the decisions that I once, that I in the future wanted to make, many of them had masters in business administration, many of them had, had MBAs. Many of them had started out in engineering. Not all of them had taken the, the path on product development as I was on, but um, I thought that skill and that education would be important. And um, in retrospect, I think it was. So would you say that this is something that you recommend to a lot of the young people? I would. Um, I, I would say uh, follow your passion. You know, um, I, I've heard it said by you know, others, you know, passion drives productivity. Mm. You know, if you're very, if you really like what you're doing, you will put in the extra effort, you'll put in the extra time to be the best you can at it. You'll, 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 you will learn extra. You will work that, go that extra mile to solve that problem if you, uh, if you care because you really like what you're doing. Um, and I think that combination of having a technical background so you can understand the fundamentals of the product that you're working on, and then combining that with the business background, which, which allows you to understand the customer, the commercial side, the finance side, uh, and, and really what it takes to create value in that business. Um, I think those are good that's a good combination, and I, and I do recommend that to young people all the time. Not that they only go into automotive, but that model applies to pretty much any industry or any business or any sector that you're interested in. So it would be engineering, then business. I think that worked well for me. Um, and I've seen many examples of that in, in, in many other in industries. So yes, I think that is a good, a good, a good flow, a good mm -hmm. pattern. So I just want to switch gears a little bit. Sure. Just move into what you're working with right now, what yes. you're doing right now. And yes. I've looked at the company. I've seen what's going on, and yes. it's, it's just it's so cool. Could you please let us know about Lord Stamutis? Yes, like yes. So for the last two years, uh, I've been serving as the CEO and president of Lordstown Motors, which is an electric vehicle manufacturer uh, that builds a full-size electric pickup truck called the Endurance that's targeted towards the commercial fleet market, meaning people that use trucks for work. It is a vehicle about the size of a, a Ford F-150, so we're a much smaller brand. Um, but I was brought in about two years ago to help turn the company around. 
I accepted the very difficult challenge to come into the company at a time where um, it was under investigation by the Securities Exchange Commission. Uh, the previous leadership team had made some statements that were not accurate, and that thus the investigation. Uh, there were uh, several lawsuits on the company um, from shareholders. And the product was nowhere near complete from an engineering standpoint and a production readiness standpoint. So, and then add on top of that, we were not very far from running out of cash. This was two years ago. Okay. Uh, so what I have had to do over that time, uh, and I don't mean I, but I mean the team. Uh, the first thing I had to do was help build a team that could focus on the key thing, which was completing the engineering of the product and launching the product. That's mm -hmm. one of the things we focused in, 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 we had a laser focus on. I brought in people with far more experience uh, that we you know we had a decent team, but uh, we needed to strengthen it in several key areas. So I recruited several members to join the team. Uh, we implemented and strengthened several processes in the company, and we were successful in, in launching the product. Uh, as a matter of fact, the endurance at the beginning of this year, the beginning of 2023, was a finalist for North American Truck of the Year. Uh, so we launched the product uh, towards the end of 2022, I uh, started selling them in, at the end of 2022 and early into, early into 2023. Uh, the other element of the turnaround was we needed to find a way to extend the cash, cash of the company. As I said, we were close to running out of cash. Um, we formed a partnership with another company uh, uh, in order to raise cash and have a longer, um, a longer runway for the business. Mm -hmm. Uh, we formed, we signed an investor agreement with uh, with that company to do that, and uh, third, um, we were focusing on resolving the legal challenges and um, a regulatory challenges from SEC that again were legacy issues of the company. So, you know, developing and launching the product is just one part, uh, but there were other elements of the company that we've been working on cleaning up as well. Mm -hmm. If all of this because it sounds like it was a very big mess that you, that you just walked into so my question yes. is why why would you do that yeah you know um i i i think i think that's a that is the absolute right question for your audience and for young people and i heard somebody say it best um i'll come back to what they said but i'll say what i said first mm -hmm. i've always learned most in my career by working on the most difficult problems that face the organization and the team that I was on. And um, that's where you learn the most. That's where it's most critical. That's where you figure out, oh, this was not the right way to go. Let's figure out how do we break down the symptoms of this problem and how do we implement the right corrective action and how do we do it with some level of speed and urgency because that's, that's an important thing. And I, again, I've been blessed throughout my career to always uh, never, to not be afraid when there were those situations to put my hand up and say, I'll work on that. Even as a summer intern, one of my first summer internships, 
uh, with with GM before uh, I graduated undergrad. We had a position. We had a, a situation where we were making a product. There was a problem with the product, and it was going to shut down one of the assembly plants. Now you think an assembly plant, the automobile assembly plant, the vehicles are completed about one every sixty seconds. Oh, so wow. fifty to sixty jobs per hour, as we call it, that's about one a minute. And if just think about if you shut a plant down for hour, the math that's sixty vehicles. <laughs> you do it for a full shift, sixty times eight. You know. And a vehicle costing, let's just round numbers, $50,000, the numbers add up very quickly. So uh, I got a taste of what it was like to be under the gun and under the fire to solve that problem as an intern. And I, um, um, throughout my career uh, in industry, as a consultant, I, I never shied away from those opportunities. I didn't shy away from that opportunity uh, at Lordstown. And the point I was going to make was uh, someone who I know very well, he, he terms it run towards the fire. You know, if there's a fire, don't run away, run towards the fire, because that's where the learning, that's where the learning comes. And you could be part of the solution rather than, you know, a victim of the, of the, of the issue. So mm -hmm. to make such decisions, to run towards the fire, it mm -hmm. requires a certain level of confidence or belief. Yes. Where do you think that came from? I would say, you know, you, you, um, I'm going to quote someone else again. And this yeah. was, I, this was my Angela who said this, you get courageous, you get courage by doing courageous things. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, by doing, I think by starting out on, on small and even taking on that small project as an, as an, as an intern, as an engineering intern, where we had that problem, we were going to shut the plant down, uh, and working on that. Once I was working full time as an engineer and a situation like that would come again, I would say, well, when I was an intern, this is how we stopped this plant from, from shutting down. Completely different problem. But you gain the confidence that says I could probably get through this. You built you 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 bring the people around who can help you. You stay calm and you systemically look for what the causes are of the issue and you get through it. You get through it. And the more you get through one, you get through the next one. You get through the next one. And some are bigger than others. The, um, the, the situation I'm facing today is the biggest one <laughs> uh, yet, um, but it has been a tremendous learning experience and learning opportunity. Uh, we've been successful in turning around from an operation standpoint and getting the product into production. Uh, we're still work and we've and we've since sold uh, the the assets of the company and the vehicle. Uh, we're still working through the other legal and regulatory matters. So I won't say much more about those. But even the learning and what it takes to get through those is something I had not experienced before. But guess what? I've experienced it now and I know how to. I know what mistakes were made prior to my coming that got the company into this position. And um, I feel that I am able to take away how to prevent those things from happening in the future. Mm -hmm. From your story and from what I'm hearing, mm -hmm. is kind of bringing it back to something that I learned. And okay. this was actually in, um, I think it was in a conversation that I had with a few friends and we were just okay. talking about um, religion, about God. And yes. it was basically along the lines of, God doesn't necessarily put pain into your life for it to hate you, but it's to prepare you 
for something that's to come. So yes. he puts things that obstacles in your way. In a sense that he knows that you handle it. You never give something that you cannot overcome. Yes. And once you do that, you build the muscles to be able to take larger and larger portions. So I think that kind of... I think you're absolutely right. I don't think I could have said it any better than that, <laughs> Tristan. I mean, and I and I fully agree with you, and I I I, I believe that I I believe God puts uh, uh, experiences in your life for you to learn from them. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's 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 how we grow. That's how we develop, and that's how we build those muscles. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're you know you're an athlete when you're exercising, yeah. pain is when things uh you know the muscles start to to build and yeah. and, and develop. So mm-hmm. yeah. So a message to all of those who are listening, do hard stuff. If an obstacle is in your way, if God is putting that in your way, it's for a specific reason. Just know that it's not to break you, but it's to make you. So just know that and just take in good faith and know that he's never going to give you something that you cannot handle. So you've heard it here first. You yeah. know that this is, <laughs> that's what it is. Yes. No, I think that's right. I mean, I mentioned I'm a martial artist. We have a, we have a saying in the dojo when, when the, when the, um, um, whether it's kids or adults or sparring is a sign on the wall that says you either win or you learn, yeah. <laughs> you know, you either win that match or you learn from it. You learn, you either block that punch, you block that kick or you learn, <laughs> I need to block that punch or block that <laughs> kick in a different way before. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I mean, um, life is very much that way. And, um, um, uh, God teaches us that way, just as you said. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Thank yeah, you. Sure. No. Well said on your part. <laughs> so I want to touch more on the process of turning around Lord's Town Waters. Yes. I want to touch on some mm-hmm. of the aspects that you feel like you gained as a leader mm-hmm. throughout that whole process. Yes. And some of the things that you could probably give to the audience about what it means to be a leader, especially in times of crisis. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You know, I'm very much a believer in you have to have values and culture in your organization. And one of the first things I did when I, um, I, I, was, I was first brought in as president and then the board elected me CEO eight months later. Uh, but the first thing I did when I became president was I instituted a set of values for the company. And those three values were integrity, discipline, and collaboration. Uh, integrity, meaning we needed to tell the truth. You know, the company had gotten into trouble for not telling the truth. The, the launch was off track because engineers and other professionals were afraid to accurately describe the situation of the vehicle program and the business. Um, so I uh, drove a, a, a culture where it was, it was okay to say, I have a problem. Put your hand up. You have a problem. You need help. And then we get you the help you need. So integrity was an important one. Uh, discipline Creating and engineering a vehicle is very complex. Cars are the most complex consumer product on the market. There's not one more complex. There isn't. Um, There's so many ways to get it wrong. (laughs) Fewer ways to get it right. There's so many different systems and subsystems that have to work together under different different conditions, different temperatures, different drivers. So think, you know, the... The, the propulsion system which drives the vehicle, the brakes and chassis which stops the vehicle, the air conditioning which keeps it warm, the airbags if you get into an accident, all of those systems have to work properly. And to properly develop a vehicle, you need a discipline process to ensure that all of the parts and all of the systems pro- work properly. All of the hundreds, there, there, there are hundreds of, of 
component suppliers that are involved in the in the building of the vehicle. It's not just one person. It's not just one team. You know, the the, the tires may come from Goodyear. The suspension part, parts may come from a, 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 a Bosch. Um, you know, several parts of electronics may come from a company in Japan. All of those parts have to arrive on time. The engineering has to be complete on time. They have to work together. They have to fit together. And uh, the, the team that is assembling all those together has to know how to do it properly. So there needs to be discipline that's followed. So that's, that was why that was the second discipline, the second value, if you will, I incitated. And third was collaboration. Collaboration was key because, one, we were working to launch a vehicle. So engineering and manufacturing have to communicate. You can't just sit in your side and say, well, I'm the engineer, I'm only gonna do this. No, if the vehicle does get built properly, the customer doesn't care whose fault it is. It's either done correctly or it isn't. Um, the parts have to be bought on time, so that's purchasing uh, that has a role in that, but they have to be the correct parts as well. So engineering and purchasing has to work together. They have to be at the right cost or you're losing money. On, on, on the vehicle. So that's the finance working with engineering and purchasing. So all of these different functions, and there's so many things that that's why it's best to follow your passion. If you follow your passion, you'll find something that fits what your interest is and what you're good at and where you can have an impact and where you can make a difference. Uh, but you have to have a mindset that you can't do it alone. You have to collaborate. You have to work together. You have to have empathy for the other teammates' uh, issues and challenges so you can work together to resolve them. So collaboration was the third of the three values I worked towards instituting. We were also, as I mentioned, um, we were taking on an additional partner to address the cash issue and to make the business model, meaning how we would make money, more effective. Uh, uh, so we had to learn how to work with that new partner as well. So those three values are what I work towards instituted, instituting because that would develop our culture. You know, if we built the culture around those values, we could take on those difficult problems and solve those difficult problems and um, be successful with the operations of the company. Mm. How do you go about creating a culture especially a winning culture yes how's that yeah done? well you start with values mm. and your and your consistency you're consistent values and consistency um in order to be consistent i only gave the team two objectives and every time i had a town hall meeting with the team and i did it monthly so i communicated regularly with the team and i encouraged the other leaders on my team you know, the heads of engineering, the heads of purchasing, the heads of finance to, 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 to similarly communicate with their teams. Um, I just gave them two objectives. One was to launch the product and two was to build the relationship with, with this partner. Two things. And then every month meeting we had, it was only about those two things. <laughs> and, um, and I consistently repeated the values. I did everything, you know, I did everything in my power to make sure I was exhibiting the values, that I was not in a situation where I wasn't showing integrity, uh, I was that, that I was not um, um, 
using the proper disciplines and expecting the right proper disciplines or was not encouraging collaboration. So leadership has to model the behavior, has to set the values, they have to model the values and they just have to be consistent and reward the team when they're doing it and challenge the team when they're not doing it. Mm -hmm. how, how do you go about challenging the team when they are not? Um, you know, so I'll give you an example. Um, we had biweekly meetings where we reviewed the status of the launch. Okay. Uh, you are not punished if you had a problem. If, you know, your status of your part of the project was either green, which is good, or red, which is bad. Red means you have a problem. Green means you don't. You are not in trouble if you had a red problem. You are actually... Um, complimented if you were courage enough, courageous enough to say you had a problem. Where you were punished, if you will, or reprimanded or coached was if you didn't tell the truth. So that's an example of how you, you know, you, you live that and you, um, you um, reinforce that. If you were to be prepared in those launch meetings with the certain details behind the work that needed to be done and it was completed, whether it was a test plan and so many miles put on the vehicle to ensure that it's working or a certain level of parts that, you know, all of the engineering drawings were complete uh, or um, the cost, uh, the cost of the parts getting to a certain level, you know, you had to bring that data. You had to bring your data to the meeting to prove that you were making progress on the timeline, you know, because the timeline is important and the uh, the project plan is important. So, uh, and I, I I work to hold the team accountable to that, and expected that we have that that they have that data, and I uh, held their leaders to be accountable for making sure in their um, meetings with their sub teams that they were doing the same as well. So, accountability and consistency are how you get to that point. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm thinking about it was right now what you said is kind of brought a sort of paradigm shift in me because mm -hmm. I'm looking at this and I'm like for so long as I remember getting something wrong is when you get into like you get all that all the heat for yes. getting the thing wrong. Yes. Yes. And what you're saying right now is not necessarily that you got it wrong that's right. a problem. Yes. But it's more of since you didn't say anything and you hit it. Exactly. So exactly. I think this one is more of like that. I think that's how you are enforcing the culture. That's how it's creating the culture is by continually making sure that if you get it wrong, there's no problem with that. So right. far as you let it be known so that yes. we can address it, we can help you. Yeah. If you let it be known and you are doing everything to create it, to correct it, excuse me, and you're doing everything to create, correct it, you're letting the right people in the organization who need to help you, let them know uh, and that you eventually resolve it. You come with a plan. You have this problem. This this part is not working properly, and it's causing the vehicle to not work properly in this this scenario. I'm just you know giving an example. If you come to the meeting and say we have this problem, but I'm doing A, B, and C as the responsible engineer to bring in these people, this supplier, make these changes, and I will have it resolved by next Monday for something like that. That's, that says you're engaged, that says you are working towards a solution, and that says you are following the discipline 
You're using integrity because you didn't try to hide it. You're using the discipline because you have a plan to resolve the issue. And you're collaborating because you brought in the other people who need to be a part of that solution. Nothing big. I didn't understand this when I was your age or when I was young. Nothing big or important, really important, happens by one person. You know, it all involves collaboration. So if you get into the habit of pulling the right people in, you get to the solutions faster. You get to the solutions faster and you get a better solution for your customer. And that's what every successful business is there to do is to serve your customer in a way that's better than it than anyone else. Mm-hmm. The right people. Yes. What do you mean by the right people? When I say the right people, I mean the knowledgeable persons because no one can know, no one person can know everything. So say I'm the engineer responsible for a part, but I need to know who's the best supplier for that part. I may know what I need to do from a design standpoint to make this part last, you know, 100,000 miles or whatever. Uh, But I may not know who's the best supplier that I could count on and rely on to deliver it by this date I have as part of the team. And at this cost level, which is another requirement I have as part of the team. So I can reach out to my colleague in purchasing, who in turn can reach out to their suppliers in their network who they know. They'll say, well, this this person is good on quality, but they're not so good on cost. This person is always late. This company is always late. This one we've worked with and had tremendous success before. We should go with them. So. That's what I mean by bringing in the right people, bringing in the knowledgeable parties who could help you solve whatever issue that you're you're dealing with. Sometimes you're the knowledgeable person. So collaboration also means being able to lend your expertise to uh, a situation that your colleague may have. And uh, that's that's all part of it. Okay, okay. I want to know what are some of the soft skills that you feel like you have gained over the years mm-hmm. and how do you see them helping you right now yes you know i almost don't even call them soft skills anymore and um i know what you mean so i'm not i'm not i'm not being critical of that um but those things are so important empathy meaning you know having concern for your for for another person's point of view or how they may see a thing that's an important so-called soft skill to have Um, communication, you know, clarity in communication. That's an important soft skill, uh, air quotes. (laughs) That's an important skill, uh, because, you know, I, I spent a portion of my career doing business turnaround consulting, working with companies that were struggling. And I'll tell you what, in many cases, the issues came down to poor communication and um, and um, poor collaboration. You know, the right people didn't see the right data or they weren't asking the right questions. Both of those are communications issues and cultural issues. So we, I, we, we, when we call them soft skills, I think we sometimes devalue them, but they are absolutely essential skills. And I think the business community is starting to realize that more. Uh, that's, and that's why you see more training in that particular area. And, um, you know, if, uh, if young people can get experience in leadership early, 
and develop those good habits in communication and collaboration and telling the truth and operating with integrity and using the right disciplines, then I think you'll have they'll have longer careers, more successful careers. I mentioned my time in the Boy Scouts where mm-hmm. I really learned about cars. You know, the big part of the Boy Scouts was really youth leadership, youth having leadership positions and developing leadership skills early on. And, you know, I felt that help that helped me develop as a as a young person. Mm-hmm. Okay. What does success mean to you? Wow. What does success mean to you to me? Um so there's success you have for your particular project you're working on. There's success you have for the particular business or company for whom you're working on, working for or working with or creating. Uh, and then there's personal success. Um, I, an important part of success for me is, is family and being there for my family and um, being just being being there for them for whatever for whatever they need that's an important part of success for me um from a business standpoint success for me means always being in a position where i can have a positive impact and i believe business can not just generate profit but i i believe business can do good as well it can do, do, do well for communities, it could do well for teams, it could do well for families, it could do well for nations. So success to me means being there for, for, for my family and being there in a position from a business standpoint where I could have an impact. Okay. I want to switch gears now to sure. another topic. There's, yes. Um, this is about the automotive industry. Yes. You have a book yes. about the automotive industry. Mm-hmm. Could you kindly share with us? Yes, the yes. The book is um, is called Motoring Africa, Sustainable Automotive Industrialization. Uh, it actually has a third title uh, of it. It says, Building Entrepreneurs, Creating Jobs, and Driving the Next Economic Miracle. And uh, what it is about, it is a book that's targeted towards the investment community and uh, to, sh- to highlight the opportunity and the benefit and the economic development potential that developing the automotive industry in six of the 54 countries on the African continent could have. Uh, it's based on the experience that I had um, in the industry working in China, India, South Korea, Mexico, and Brazil. And I basically take the model of how those countries and regions use the development of the automotive industry to create local skills and to take hundreds of millions of people out of poverty and move those nations forward. So it's a very action-oriented book. It um, takes those examples and how you could apply it to six of the 54 countries uh, on the continent. Um, the six, what, what, what will be the six countries? Uh, the six at the time, the book was published in 2018. Okay. Uh, so the six were South Africa, Morocco, Kenya, Ghana, Ethiopia, and Nigeria. And uh, I lay out nine criteria in the book by which those six countries were created, uh, were created, were selected, excuse me, nine criteria. 
Don't ask me the criteria. <laughs> the <not> criteria. <laughs> it's in the book. Um, and uh, also what the key 10 steps are to succeed at um, automotive industrialization. I lay that, lay that out as well. So it's intended to be uh, an action-oriented oriented and forward-looking book on how uh, companies can take this and apply those, those lessons. And, um, you know, I mentioned my consulting firm, Motoring Ventures. Uh, I wrote the book to help grow the business of my firm in, in, uh, uh, on parts of the continent because at the time, most of the work we were doing was still in the United States and Asia. And um, with the launch of Motoring Africa, the book, in 2018, um, I had the honor to present it at the African Union in uh, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, during their industrialization week in 2019. Uh, and I also was able to take on uh, several projects uh, with automotive companies and governments on the continent, here on, on the African continent, that are interested in automotive industrialization. So that's what the book is about. That's what it covers. Uh, there's several examples of countries that have done it very well, some countries that have not done it so well. And um, no, it's it's it was it was it was a it was a challenge to write, but um, it, it was uh, again something I'm very passionate about and believe in. So uh, at the end, it was a, a labor of love, as you say. <laughs> <laughs> I will not go into detail with the book, but please, yes, get the book. I'm going to read the book. I hope you read the book too. Yes, then you can text me about how the book was like. And then we'll talk about the book. Just read the book. Okay. Sure. It's available on Amazon. It is available on Amazon. If you want to, uh, uh, it's available as a, um, uh, what, is it, what is it? Prime? Not Prime. Um, Kindle. It's available as an ebook on Kindle, uh, on Amazon. Uh, or you could get a hard copy or you could get a, a soft copy. Um, or even if you just immediately want to read a summary so that you know what it is about, you could go to uh, the website Motoring 54, 54 for obvious reasons, and it will give you a summary that could give you a good overview of what the book will be about uh, until you until you receive it. Okay, okay. So you've had it. Please, the book. All right. <laughs> I want to... Thank you for plugging it. <laughs> no, Tristan, no problem. I appreciate no it. No problem. No problem. <laughs> I should have come on your show in 2018. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I want to know how you see the landscape, the automotive landscape in Africa changing with the yes. introduction of electric cars. Yes. How is that changing? So... There's two questions there. How do I see the automotive landscape changing? And then how do I see the electric, electric vehicle landscape? I, I, if, it's, if you allow me, I'd like to break your question into two sure, questions. Sure. So how I see the, the automotive landscape changing is the, the fastest growing population on the, in the world is on the African continent, as you know. Um, the fastest growing, growing countries you know, Africa's population of about 1.3, 1.4 billion will be at 2.5 billion by 2050. Nigeria will be larger than the United States from a, from a population standpoint. And the continent is urbanizing. More people are moving to cities. Um, and they will need transportation. It does not make sense as the economies grow on the continent, as populations grow on the continent, for vehicles to not necessarily continue to be to not be produced on the continent, from a lean manufacturing standpoint, it is best to build a product where your customer is. And what I mean by lean manufacturing uh, principle is 
how do you build the product at the most attractive cost with the least amount of waste and best targeted towards your customer? If you locally produce the vehicles, you're able to make them at a more attractive price point. They're better targeted towards what the customers want. And if you're employing people to build those vehicles, the economies grow, uh, skill, local skills are developed in the region, and uh, quite frankly, people are able to afford the vehicles that they're building. Um, so that's how I see the automotive landscape, um, uh, the potential for the automotive landscape to change on the continent. Because if you look at the 1.3 billion people uh, on the African continent, that's about 17% of the world's population. Mm. But between South Africa and Morocco, which builds most of the vehicles on the continent, there are only about a million and a half vehicles built between <laughs> those two countries. So 17% of the world's population, and there are about 100, just under, just under 100, I'll just use round numbers for simplicity. Just before COVID, there are about 100 million vehicles built in the world every year. 100 million, about 18 million in North America, about 30 million in China, the rest of the rest in the other countries around the world. Um, African continent, only one and a half million. 17% of the world's population, one, uh, one and a half percent of the world's vehicle vehicles. You compare China, similar one, just the country of China, one country in Asia, China, similar 1.3, 1.4 billion people Again, before COVID, they were producing almost 30 million vehicles. Oh, wow. 1.5 to 30. That's crazy. Same 1.3, 1.4 billion dollar people. So you look at, you're looking at an opportunity for local production of somewhere between 27 to 28 million vehicles. The oh, difference. Wow. So, if, so that is the equivalent of a Volkswagen builds about 10 million vehicles per year. Toyota builds about 10 million vehicles per year. You know, you, it, it's about, and, and each of those companies employ about 300,000 people each. So that's about, just for that difference is about 600,000 jobs. Oh, wow. And that's just the vehicle manufacturers. When you look at the supply chain, the, the, the parts manufacturers, the parts manufacturers tend to make, tend to create four times the number of jobs as the auto manufacturers. So you take that 300,000 Toyota, 300,000 Volkswagen. I know the numbers are a little bit different. I'm just using round numbers for simplicity. You multiply that by four, you know, that's 2.4 million people. I mean, it is, there's a tremendous opportunity for job creation with local industrialization. And that's what I attempt to outline in the book. Um, it's targeted towards the investment community. It's targeted towards the business community. It's targeted to, targeted towards businesses that realize that they're looking for their next growth opportunity as Asia starts to slow down, as China starts to slow down, as Africa continues to grow from both a population and economic standpoint, it makes sense to consider the markets on the continent and don't just look at Africa as one country mm -hmm. <laughs> it's now our monolith yeah. you know it's 54 nations it's four to five regions however you want to cut it each that's very different and look at the key cities look at the key cities where urban urbanization is happening and um that's so so that's the first part of the answer and uh, when i split your question in two that's how i see the automotive market developing the second part is about electrification um 
the auto industry is in a in a transition from internal combustion, which it has been for over 100 years, maybe more like 125 years, um, towards electric vehicles and moving away from diesel, moving away from petrol um, to vehicles that are powered by electricity with the energy being stored in a battery and powering electric motors. There is, um, when you look at it, it is, it's a slow transition. I mean, it's a gradual transition that's not happening everywhere equally. So there, there are parts of Europe where it's happening very fast. You know, Norway, it's happening very quickly. China is about, has gone to about 30% of their market are electric. Uh, the United States is only 7%, but we were only 5% last year. So that's mm, significant so. growth. And in the United States, there are parts of the, of the country that are much faster, whereas U.S. is only 7% overall, California you know, is 22% already. Oh, wow. So they're kind of leading the way. Um, electrification is, it's, it's a lower, lower, uh, lower cost. The vehicles are, are lower ownership cost over time. There may be a little bit more t- to buy today, but over time you don't have the maintenance costs. You're not, you don't have to do oil changes, change <laughs> air filters. Mm-hmm. Your brakes last a lot longer. Um, there's, there's less pollution. Uh, there, there's, you know, they're not polluting the environment, you mean imagine uh, all of the vehicles that are in traffic here in Accra uh, going at very slow speeds, but putting out all of this smoke. Imagine all, if all of those suddenly were not putting out any emissions, any smoke at all. Uh, that's an opportunity. So they could be better for the environment. And the data is showing that as customers adopt electric vehicles, they tend to really like them. And they go from one to wanting to get their next one electric to their next one. So um, I see, you know, it, it, it's got a gradual, it's a gradual transition because people <laughs> in general don't like to change from habits. But, um, you know, I, I see a tipping point coming in certain regions. You know, I mentioned California. I mentioned Norway. I mentioned China. Uh, it's starting to really take off in certain there's electric vehicles are starting to really take off in certain markets. So if you if you blend the automotive opportunity in the African continent with the transition towards electrification, uh, there are there's an opportunity for the continent, the African continent, to focus on industrialization right away towards electric vehicles rather than going through a phase of building internal combustion engines and then transitioning over. Mm-hmm. Long answer to your question, oh, but I split it into quality. But you said it was going to be packed, so oh, I'm yeah, packing. It's packed. It's packed. It's packed. <laughs> so. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, I think we've, we've spoken for quite a while. Okay. So I just want to end this. This is the and last You haven't topic. said I could drink any of the water oh, yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last topic i want to speak about is the youth potential the youth yes um what are your thoughts on the potential of the youth and how do you believe or what do you believe are the best ways that the youth could represent itself in the coming years yeah i'm 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 incredibly excited about the youth potential in africa incredibly um you know we talked about population growth um the African continent will have the largest workforce by 2035, larger than China, larger than India. Um, and it just doesn't, it, you know, industrialization is just one path. There's obviously other sectors, there's healthcare, 
there's technology, there's um, all of the other sectors that the continent is participating in now, but the opportunity to have the greatest leverage in terms of job creation is still with manufacturing and industrialization. But it's not just building the products, it's creating the products as well. All of the design, the engineering, the testing, the development, those are, those are just tremendous opportunities. As we transition towards electrification, you know, there's, there's, it's not just building the vehicles, you know, there's the charging infrastructure, there's the batteries, there's the components, there's the software, and then there's the vehicle itself. Uh, so those are opportunities for the youth uh, when you talk about the automotive industry. And um, one of the, you know, one of the things I highlight in the book is once in my book is w once a nation can build vehicles, they can build anything. So those skills can be transferred into other products and other industries. So uh, I think it's an exciting time to be uh, a young, I think it would be an exciting time for, to be a young person. You have to, you have to best answer that, uh, Tristan. But uh, I, I imagine it is because I just see so much opportunity. You know, there, there, uh, there are organizations and schools that are growing around the continent. Whether it's you know African Leadership University or the ALX program that's developing software engineers uh, all around the continent. There's so many. There's so much opportunity, and I think the future is is bright. I think this is truly going to be the, uh, the African century. And um, for the young people who participate in it, it's, uh, I think it's going to be great for them. Mm -hmm. How can, because right now we are talking about potential, mm -hmm. about the great potential of the youth. Yes. How do you think the youth can get to that? How do you think they can achieve that potential? Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's a, it's a journey. You know, it's a journey. Um, I believe it is finding your passion. I think it's ad identifying good mentors. I think it's being curious. Um, because in addition to, you know, I won't even say studying, study hard, stay in school, work hard. That's, that's, that's obviously everyone knows they need to do that. Uh, especially if they're watching your show. So I won't even say that. I think I just did, but I won't say it. Uh, you have to do those things. But I think, you know, finding your passion, because that's where you're going to really have a differentiable advantage over everyone else there. What can you what can you do that is going to be more meaningful, impactful, and that you would be uniquely positioned to do that? Think, think about that. Find mentors that could help you find that. And once you identify that, how, how they could help you put on, put you, help you get on a path to learning and growing that, that you would be on. Um, in your career decisions, don't only make career decisions based on money and where you want to live. You know, once you have established yourself, then you could make, you, then you could determine where you want to live and how you want to make money. I think early in your careers, from a youth standpoint, it should be focused on where can I grow and learn the most? Where can I run towards the fire? Where can I have those opportunities and where will I be empowered to challenge myself and where I can have a, an impact? Because that's when I think you'll grow and then more opportunities come your, come your way. So um, that's how I would answer that question about how the youth can do it. Be, you know, the worst thing that young people want to hear is be patient. Um, so I won't say it, although I think I just did, um, because I know I didn't want to hear that. Um, be 
be persistent. I think I'll say that. Uh, don't be discouraged. Just continue to realize that if you're not getting everything that you want right away, maybe you're learning something you need to learn right now. And um, I think, you know, it's not always linear. You know, everything isn't always a, a, uh, a, a upward, <laughs> upward trajectory. Sometimes they're, they're plateaus, sometimes they're value, val valleys. But if you look at it in terms of learning and impact, uh, over time, I believe uh, you'll have happiness in, in uh, what you aspire to do and, and reach your objectives. Okay. Mr. Hightower, this has been a very, very impactful interview, a very insightful one. To everybody who is listening, I hope, I pray that you have taken something from this interview because if you listen <laughs> to this, this can change your life. Please listen, play it back. I said in the beginning, make sure you take notes. Take notes because this is it. Mr. Hightower, where can they find you if they want to reach out? Oh, okay. Um, well, you can learn more about Morning Motoring Africa at Morning 54. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, uh, that's probably a good place. I'm also on uh, Twitter at, uh, at E underscore T underscore Hightower. Okay. All right, all right. Thank I think you. it's called X now, though. I still call it, still call it Twitter. <laughs> yes. So thank you very much for coming on this show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're a great interviewer. Man, you didn't pull any punches. You said it would be difficult, and you delivered. <laughs> yes. Well we done, Tristan. You've done good. So okay. if you're messing with what's going on on the channel, and you like the progress, you're liking where we are going with this, Feel free to follow the channel. We post, we try and post, God willing, every week, Sundays. Just look forward to it. If you're looking to follow me and see what I'm up to, you can check out my Instagram, T underscore C Duma. You can check out um, my YouTube as well. It's my full name, Tristan Kampoduma. You can search Empower as well on Spotify, Apple Music. The podcast will show up. Please listen to it. Let me know what you think. And I'm always here to help. If you need anything, if you need any help with anything, feel free to reach out. Besides, how I thank you again. Thank and you. To end it off, I forgot this one segment, this one very, very important one. Sure. You see, we had a tradition in this in this podcast. Okay. And it was basically where the last guest would ask a question for the for the next guest. Okay. And so the question that was asked now, the question that was asked now was, mm -hmm. and this was asked by our previous guest, which is Miss Janine. Yes. Ezel. Yes. She asked this question, who is a person that you would love to meet and what would you ask them? Who is a person that I would love to meet and what would I ask them? Um, meet or talk to? Meet, meet meaning I have never met them before. Yeah, you can say, let's just say for this. She said meet dead or alive and what question you ask so yeah, i mean you could say that you've not met them before you can say you met them before just in general sure sure wow that's a good one that is a really good one who would i like to meet that um um can i change the question a little bit <laughs> <laughs> i keep a list i'll, I'll answer your question mm. i keep a list of who I would like to have dinner with mm. <laughs> and have a more detailed conversation with. But I think if I say, who would I like to meet? Um, 
and what would I, uh, uh, who would I, who would I like to meet? Uh, I would say, um, I would like to meet Elon Musk. Hmm. I was thinking about that in my head. I was like, he's going to say Elon Musk. I, I, knew, like, I knew, I knew you were going to figure <laughs> that. I would like to meet Elon, Elon Musk. Um, you know, they, you know, uh, I mean, Tesla has been a leadership from a technology standpoint in developing electric vehicles. Um, from a hardware and software standpoint, but now they're uh, driving leadership in manufacturing engineering, how, how the vehicles are being built. And it's not just, it's not just him, so it's, 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 it's pro- I would probably like to meet him and the core members of his team mm. because none of, nothing happens, as I said, alone with one person. So just what their approach is there because they're going to be able to just, under- as I study what they're doing, because it's, it's always important to benchmark what your competition is doing. Um, I think they're on a path to be able to continue to reduce the cost of building electric vehicles over time. And um, as someone who's uh, um, who's in this space, who plans to stay in this space, um, it'd be interesting to meet him and his team and, um, again, learn from them. So what would you ask them? What, what would I ask them? I would ask them, um, I would ask them, what is their, what is their decision-making discipline? Mm. How do they go about taking decisions for the company because many of the things that they do the industry traditionally would see as too risky Mm -hmm. um and they have come out in retrospect being the right the right answer Mm -hmm. but just maybe five ten years ahead so i'd like to know what their how that what their thought process is that's what i would ask you i would like Mm -hmm. to meet elon musk and his team and ask them what their thought process is. That's my final answer. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay, thank you. That's thank my, you. I mean, that's my answer to you. Final answer to yes. your question. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's that's how I'd answer that. Okay. <laughs> so now it's your turn to give a question for the next guest. Yes, my question to the next guest is, how have you last run to the fire? What it yes? How have you? You meaning how have you last gone after uh, solving a very difficult problem where others may have shied away from it, but you saw a way to to learn and grow from it? Mm. Okay. Okay. Well, all right. Now we've covered all the basics. <laughs> we've covered, okay. we've covered everything. Thank you again for watching. Thank, Thank you, you for tuning in. If you enjoy what's going on, please subscribe, I like just, all I those know. stuff. Leave a comments. Everything. Without further ado, I believe in you, we believe in you. Go and make the world a better place. Don't just live life, but thrive. Thank you. Well done. (laughs) As a wrap, okay, take one. (laughs) Music licensing reimagined.